Chapter Six of Jimbo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Jimbo by Algernon Blackwood, read by Adrian Pretzelis. Chapter Six: His Prison Friend. Shocks of terror as they increase in number apparently lessen in effect. The repeated calls made upon Jimbo's soul by the emotions of fear and astonishment had numbed it. Otherwise the knowledge that he was locked in the room with this mysterious creature, beyond all possibility of escape, must have frightened him, as the saying is, out of his skin. As it was, however, he kept his head in a wonderful manner and simply stared at the silent intruder as hard as ever he could stare. How in the world had it got in was the principal thought in his mind, and after that what in the world was it? The dawn must have come very swiftly, or else he had been staring longer than he knew, for just then the sun topped the edge of the world and the window-sill simultaneously and sent a welcome ray of sunshine into the dingy room. It turned the grey light into silver, and fell full upon the huddled figure crouching against the opposite wall. Jimbo caught his breath, and stared harder than ever. It was a human figure—the figure, apparently, of a man, sitting crumpled up in a very uncomfortable sort of position on his haunches. It sat perfectly still. A black cloak, with loose sleeves and a cowl or hood that completely concealed the face, covered it from head to foot. The material of the cloak could not have been very thick, for inside the hood he caught the gleam of eyes as they roamed about the room and followed his movements. But for this glitter of the moving eyes it might have been a figure carved in wood. Was it going to sit there for ever, watching him? At first he was afraid it was going to speak. Then he was afraid it wasn't. It might rise suddenly and come towards him, yet the thought that it would not move at all was worse still. In this way the two faced each other for several minutes until, just as the position was becoming simply unbearable, a low whisper ran round the room. At last! Oh, I found him! At last!" Jimbo was not quite sure of the words, though it was certainly a human voice that had spoken. But the suspense once broken the boy could not stand it any longer, and with a rush of desperate courage he found his voice—a very husky one—and moved a step forward. "'Who are you, please, and how did you get in?' he ventured with a great effort. Then he fell back against the wall, amazed at his own daring, and waited with tightly clenched fists for an answer. But he did not wait very long, for almost immediately the figure rose awkwardly to its feet, and came over to where he stood. Its manner of moving may best be described as shuffling, and it stretched in front of it a long, cloaked arm, on which the sleeve hung, he thought, like clothes on a washing-line. He breathed hard, and waited. Like many other people with strong wills and sensitive nerves, 
Jimbo was both brave and a coward. He hoped nothing horrible was going to happen, but he was quite ready if it should. Yet now that the actual moment had come he had no particular fear, and when he felt the touch of the hand on his shoulder the words sprang naturally to his lips with a little trembling laugh, more of wonder, perhaps, than anything else. "'You do look like a horrid—brute,' he was going to say, but at the last moment he changed it to thing, for, with the true intuition of a child, he recognised that the creature inside the cloak was a kind creature, and well disposed towards him. "'But how did you get in?' he added, looking up bravely into the black visage, because the doors are both locked on the outside, and I couldn't get out." By way of reply the figure shuffled to one side, and, taking the hand from his shoulder, pointed silently to a trap-door in the floor behind him. As he looked he saw it was being shut down stealthily by someone beneath. "'Hush!' whispered the figure, almost inaudibly. He's watching." "'Who's watching?' Jimbo cried, curiosity taking the place of every other emotion. "'I want to see.' He ran forward to the spot where the trap-door now lay flush with the floor, but before he had gone two steps the black arm shot out and caught him. He turned struggling, and in the scuffle that followed the cloak shrouding the figure became disarranged. The hood dropped from the face and he found himself looking straight into the eyes, not of a man, but of a woman. "'It's you!' he cried. "'You!' A shock ran right through his body from his head to his feet, like a current of electricity, and he caught his breath as though he had been struck. For one brief instant the sinister face of someone who had terrified him in the past came back vividly to his mind and he shrank away in terror. But it was only for an instant, the twentieth part of an instant. Immediately, before he could even remember the name, recognition passed into darkness, and his memory shut down with a snap. He was staring in the face of an utter stranger, about whom he knew nothing, and had no feelings particularly one way or another. "'I thought I knew you.' he gasped. But I've forgotten you again, and I thought you were going to be a man, too." "'Jimbo!' cried the other, and in her voice was such unmistakable tenderness and yearning that the boy knew at once beyond doubt that she was his friend. "'Jimbo!' She knelt down on the floor beside him, so that her face was on a level with his, and then opened both her arms to him. But though Jimbo was glad to have found a friend who was going to help him, he felt no particular desire to be embraced, and he stood obstinately where he was, with his back to the window. The morning sunshine fell upon her features, and touched the thick coils of her hair with glory. It was not, strictly speaking, a pretty face, but the look of real human tenderness there was very expressive and comforting and in the light-brown eyes there shone a strange light that was not merely the reflection of sunlight. Jimbo felt his heart warm to her as he looked, but her expression puzzled him, 
and he would not accept the invitation of her arms. "'Won't you come to me?' she said, her arms still outstretched. "'I want to know who you are, and what I'm doing here,' he said. "'I feel so funny, so old and so young, and all mixed up. I can't make out who I am a bit. What's that funny name you call me?' "'Jimbo is your name,' she said softly. "'Then what's your name?' he asked quickly. "'My name,' she repeated, slowly, after a pause, "'is not as nice as yours. Besides, you need not know my name. You might dislike it.' "'But I must have something to call you,' he persisted. "'But if I told you, and you disliked the name, you might dislike me, too,' she said, still hesitating. Jimbo saw the expression of sadness in her eyes and it won his confidence, though he hardly knew why. He came up closer to her, and put his puzzled little face next to hers. "'I like you very much already,' he whispered. "'And if your name is a horrid one, I'll change it for you at once. Please tell me what it is.' She drew the boy to her, and gave him a little hug, and he did not resist. For a long time she did not answer. He felt vaguely that something of dreadful importance hung about this revelation of her name. He repeated his question, and at length she replied, speaking in a very low voice, and with her eyes fixed intently upon his face. "'My name,' she said, "'is Ethel Lake.' "'Ethel Lake,' he repeated after her. The word sounded somehow familiar to him. Surely he had heard that name before. Were not the words associated with something in his past that had been unpleasant? A curious sinking sensation came over him as he heard them. His companion watched him intently while he repeated the words over to himself several times, as if to make sure he had got them right. There was a moment's hesitation as he slowly went over them once again. Then he turned to her, laughing. "'I like your name, Ethel Lake,' he said. "'It's a nice name. Miss—Miss—' Again he hesitated, while a little warning tremor ran through his mind, and he wondered for an instant why he said, Miss. But it passed as suddenly as it had come, and he finished the sentence. "'Miss Lake, I shall call you.' He stared into her eyes as he said it. "'Then you don't remember me at all,' she cried, with a sigh of intense relief. "'You've quite forgotten?' "'I never saw you before, did I? How can I remember you? I don't remember any of the things I've forgotten. Are you one of them?' For reply she caught him to her breast and kissed him. "'You precious boy,' she said. "'I'm so glad, oh, so glad!' "'But do you remember me?' he asked, sorely puzzled who I am? Haven't I been born yet, or something funny like that?" "'If you don't remember me,' said the other, her face happy with smiles that had evidently come only just in time to prevent tears, there's not much good telling you who you are. But your name, if you really want to know, is—she hesitated a moment—'Be quick, Eth, Miss Lake, or you'll forget it again.' She laughed rather bitterly. "'Oh, I'll never forget. I can't,' she said. 
I wish I could. Your name is James Stone, and Jimbo is short for James. Now you know." She might just as well have said Bill Sykes for all the boy knew or remembered. "'What a silly name!' he laughed. "'But it can't be my real name, or I should know it. I never heard it before.' After a moment he added, "'Am I an old man? I feel just like one. I suppose I'm grown up, grown up so fast that I've forgotten what came before.' "'You're not grown up, dear. At least, not exactly.' She glanced down at his alpaca knickerbockers and brown stockings, and as he followed her eyes and saw the dirty buttoned boots there came into his mind some dim memory of where he had last put them on, and of someone who had helped him. But it all passed like a swift meteor across the dark night of his forgetfulness, and was lost in mist. "'You mustn't judge by these silly clothes,' he laughed. "'I shall change them as soon as I get—as soon as I can find—' He stopped short. No words came. A feeling of utter loneliness and despair swept suddenly over him, drenching him from head to foot. He felt lost and friendless, naked, homeless, cold. He was ever on the brink of regaining a quantity of knowledge and experience that he had known once long ago, ever so long ago, but it was always just out of his reach. He glanced at Miss Lake, feeling that she was his only possible comfort in a terrible situation. She met his look, and drew him tenderly towards her. "'Now, listen to me,' she said gently. "'I've something to tell you—about myself.' He was all attention in a minute. "'I'm a discharged governess,' she began, holding her breath when once the words were out. "'Discharged?' he repeated vaguely. "'What's that? What for?' "'For frightening a child. I told a little boy awful stories that weren't true. They terrified him so much that I was sent away. That's why I'm here now. It's my punishment. I'm a prisoner here until I can find him and help him escape.' "'Oh, I say!' he exclaimed quickly, as though remembering something. But it passed, and he looked up at her, half bored, half politely. "'Escape from what?' he asked. "'From here. This is the empty house I told the stories about. And you are the little boy I frightened. Now at last I found you, and I am going to save you.' She paused, watching him with eyes that never left his face for an instant. Jimbo was delighted to hear that he was going to be rescued, but he felt no interest at all in her story of having frightened a little boy who was himself. He thought it was very nice of her to take so much trouble, and he told her so, and when he went up and kissed her and thanked her, he saw to his surprise that she was crying. For the life of him he could not understand why a discharged governess, whom he met, apparently, for the first time in the empty house, should weep over him and show him so much affection. But he could think of nothing to say, so he just waited till she had finished. "'You see, if I can save you,' she said, between her sobs, "'it will be all right again, and I shall be forgiven, and shall be able to escape with you. 
I want you to escape, so that you can get back to life again." "'Oh! Then I am dead, am I?' "'Not exactly dead,' she said, drying her eyes with the corner of her black hood. "'You've had a funny accident, you know. If your body gets all right, so that you can go back and live in it again, then you're not dead. But if it's so badly injured that you can't work in it any more, then you are dead, and will have to stay dead. You're still joined to the body in a fashion, you see." He stared and listened, not understanding much. It all bored him. She talked without explaining, he thought. An immense sponge had passed over the slate of the past, and wiped it clean beyond recall. He was utterly perplexed. "'How funny you are!' he said vaguely, thinking more of her tears than her explanations. "'Water won't stay in a cracked bottle,' she went on, "'and you can't stay in a broken body. But they're trying to mend it now, and if we can escape in time you can be an ordinary happy little boy in the world again.' "'Then are you dead too?' he asked or nearly dead?" "'I am out of my body, like you,' she answered evasively, after a moment's pause. He was still looking at her in a dazed sort of way, when she suddenly sprang to her feet and let the hood drop back over her face. "'Hush!' she whispered. "'He's listening again.' At the same moment a sound came from beneath the floor on the other side of the room and Jimbo saw the trap-door being slowly raised above the level of the floor. "'Your number is one hundred and two, said a voice that sounded like the rushing of a river. Instantly the trap-door dropped again, and he heard heavy steps rumbling away into the interior of the house. He looked at his companion, and saw her terrified face as she lifted her hood. "'He always blunders along like that.' she whispered, bending her head on one side to listen. He can't see properly in the daylight. He hates sunshine, and usually only goes out after dark." She was white and trembling. "'Is that the person who brought me in here this morning, at such a frightful pace?' he asked, bewildered. She nodded. "'He wanted to get in before it was light, so that you couldn't see his face.' "'Is he such a fright?' asked the boy beginning to share her evident feeling of horror. "'He is fright,' she said in an awed whisper. "'But never talk about him again, unless you can't help it. He always knows when he's being talked about, and he likes it, because it gives him more power.' Jimbo only stared at her without comprehending. Then his mind jumped to something else he wanted badly to have explained and he asked her about this number, and why he was called number one hundred and two. "'Oh, that's easy,' she said. "'One hundred and two is your number, among the frightened children. There are one hundred and one of them, and you are the last arrival. Haven't you seen them yet? It is also the temperature of your broken little body, lying on the bed in the night nursery at home,' she added though he hardly caught her words, so low were they spoken. Jimbo then described how the children had sung and danced to him, and went on to ask a hundred questions about them. But Miss Lake would give him very little information, and said he would not have very much to do with them. 
Most of them had been in the house for years and years, so long that they could probably never escape at all. They are all frightened children, she said, little ones scared out of their wits by silly people who meant to amuse them with stories or to frighten them into being well-behaved, nursery-maids, elder sisters, and even governesses. And can they never escape? Not unless the people who frightened them come to their rescue and run the risk of being caught themselves. As she spoke there rose from the depths of the house the sound of muffled voices, children's voices singing faintly together. It rose and fell exactly like the wind, and with as little tune. It was weird and magical, but so utterly mournful that the boy felt the tears start to his eyes. It drifted away, too, just as the wind does over the tops of the trees, dying into the distance, and all became still again. "'It's just like the wind,' he said, and I do love the wind. It makes me feel so sad and so happy. Why is it?" The governess did not answer. "'How old am I really?' he went on. "'How can I be so old and so ignorant? I've forgotten such an awful lot of knowledge.' "'The fact is—well, perhaps you won't quite understand, but you're really two ages at once. Sometimes you feel as old as your body and sometimes as old as your soul. They're still connected with your body, so you get the sensations of both mixed up." "'Then is the body younger than the soul?' "'The soul, that is yourself,' she answered, "'is, oh, so old, awfully old, as old as the stars and older. But the body is no older than itself. Of course, how could it be?' "'Of course.' repeated the boy, who was not listening to a word, she said, how could it be? But it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you feel, as long as you don't hate me for having frightened you, she said after a pause, that's the chief thing. He was very, very puzzled. He could not help feeling that it had been rather unkind of her to frighten him so badly that he had literally been frightened out of his skin but he couldn't remember anything about it, and she was taking so much trouble to save him now that he quite forgave her. He nestled up against her and said of course he liked her, and she stroked his curly head and mumbled a lot of things to herself that he couldn't understand a bit. But in spite of his new-found friend the feeling of overmastering loneliness would suddenly rush over him. She might be a protector but she was not a real companion. He knew that somewhere or other he had left a lot of other real companions whom he now missed dreadfully. He longed more than he could say for freedom. He wanted to be able to come and go as he pleased, to play about in a garden somewhere as of old, to wander over soft green lawns among laburnums and sweet-smelling lilac-trees, and to be up to all his old tricks and mischief though he could not remember in detail what they were. In a word, he wanted to escape. His whole being yearned to escape and to be free again, yet here he was a wretched prisoner in a room like a prison cell, 
with a sort of monster for a keeper, and a troop of horrible frightened children somewhere else in the house to keep him company, and outside there was only a hard, narrow, paved courtyard, with a high wall around it. Oh, it was too terrible to think of, and his heart sank down within him till he felt as if he could do nothing else but cry. "'I shall save you in time,' whispered the governess, as if she had read his thoughts. "'You must be patient, and do what I tell you, and I promise to get you out. Only be brave, and don't ask too many questions. We shall win in the end and escape.' Suddenly he looked up, with quite a new expression on his face. "'But I say, Miss Cake, I'm frightfully hungry. I've had nothing to eat since—' I can't remember when, but ever so long." "'You needn't call me Miss Cake, though,' she laughed. "'I suppose it's because I'm so hungry.' "'Then you'll call me Miss Lake when you're thirsty, perhaps?' she said. "'But anyhow, I'll see what I can get you. Only you must eat as little as possible. I want you to get very thin. What you feel is not really hunger. It's only a memory of hunger and you'll soon get used to it." He stared at her with a very distressful little face as she crossed the room, making this new announcement. And just as she disappeared through the trap-door, only her head being visible, she added with great emphasis, "'The thinner you get, the better. Because the thinner you are, the lighter you are. And the lighter you are, the easier it will be to escape.'" Remember. The thinner the better, the lighter the better, and don't ask a lot of questions about it." And with that the trap-door closed over her, and Jimbo was left alone with her last strange words ringing in his ears. End of chapter 6